Dr. Johnson was, as always, right. When he observed, depend upon it, sir, when a man knows that he's going to be hanged in a few hours, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. Hello, everyone, and welcome to what I'm calling the Cinema Gadfly podcast until I come up with a better name. Uh, this is the first episode of the podcast, and uh, what we're going to try to do here is that every episode I'm going to invite some friend or, or somebody with something interesting to say on to talk about movies. And the format of the podcast is that I will select for them a film to watch from the Criterion Collection reviews that I've put at cinemagadfly.com, and they will in turn select for me any film they want. So uh, you'll find out what my guest this week's film for me was in, in, in the second half of this podcast, but my film for you, Clarko, was uh, the film Kind Hearts and Coronets from 1949, uh, British black comedy. Uh, you told me you wanted to watch a comedy. Yeah. Yes, I did. Hi. <laughs> hey, Clarko. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah. So I'm still figuring out uh, you know, how this all works, everybody, so bear with me on this inaugural episode. But this is my guest, Clarko. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about who you are and what you're doing here and those kind of things? Sure. Uh, my name is Clarko Clark, uh, and... Uh, Ark and I are former colleagues, and um, and we like to talk about crap. And so, <laughs> yeah. So when I when I when I let you know I was doing this podcast, you were like, "I'll be the guinea pig." And I ch- I chose this film for you, Clarko, because you told me that you wanted a comedy, and I knew that you, uh, shall we say, have are new to this whole thing. So first of all, I wanted to pick a movie in English for you, and uh, secondly, I wanted to do something that was. A little highbrow, but maybe also a little more uh, approachable for you to get you kind of. I was trying to pull you into my world, right? Like you a didn't web. want me to watch like Koyanakatsi like right off the bat. Exactly, you got to work your way up to some of the more challenging pieces out there. And I thought, you know, this was a good sort of starter film. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's just a laugh riot, I think. So uh, I'm going to give a, a brief synopsis. I don't want to. We're going to try on this podcast not to not to spoil the films, if you will, but you know, at the same time. We're going to talk about them, so if you haven't seen the film and you and you will be offended by some light spoilers that really won't change your appreciation, in my opinion, of the film, go watch it first, I guess, But uh, and, and please come back. But um, So Kind Hearts and Cornets, uh, and, and, and basically everything I'm going to tell you right now is revealed in the first minute of the film by the, by the protagonist or antagonist or whatever he is, so it's not anything shocking, but the, the film tells the story of Louis Dascoigne, who is the son of the daughter of a English duke, uh, and his mother decided to marry uh, his father for love instead of for station. And so uh, she was kicked out of the family, and um, she so he was raised knowing that he was meant to be royal, but... In extreme poverty, his father died when he was very young. Is dukedom royal? I have like I don't know how uh, whatever system of governance this even is. I think <laughs> I think in the film they talked about his family getting a dukedom for services rendered to one of the uh, previous kings, King Charles, maybe. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think you're royal. I, I think you're more just fancy. Okay, I mean, you might have some like serfs or something. You might I don't know. If you're, I don't know if you're at this point in time. The movie takes place in the in the in the in the in the early you know, sort of Victorian era, right? or Edwardian. Uh, Edwardian. Era? Yeah, so like nineteen ten, nineteen twenty. And the the Duke uh, lives at a castle, though Castle Chalfont. He does. He does live in a castle, but I think he's just rich. Mm. Like I don't think he's actually got you know 
I don't. I think those people who work for him, he is paying. Uh, well, uh, well, the film opens with him in jail, uh, about to be about to be hung. Mm. Uh, that that's literally the opening scene of the film, and he's he's been accused of of murdering someone, and uh, he's writing his memoirs. And what he's talking about is that at some point early on in his in his um, well, not that early, at some point in his life, he he had an encounter with one of the family members. His mother died, and. The family wouldn't let her be buried in their vault, and he had an encounter with one of the family members who was very rude to him. Anyway, he decided that he was going to revenge himself upon his family by killing everyone between him and the throne. Yeah, he really, really wanted uh, his mom to be put in a in a decent graveyard, so yeah. he would kill everyone in the way of him doing that. <laughs> and uh, and also, so one thing I, I want to get into is that the every one of the people. So there's so he has eight family members that are between him and the dukedom, and all of them are played by Obi Wan Kenobi. It's so great. It's so great. I I still can't remember his real name. Alec Guinness okay. is his real name. Oh, genuine class. Yeah, he's 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 wonderful in this movie. Yeah, and, so, like, and men and women, by the way. Yeah, he's like the Eddie Murphy of his time. He's. <laughs> I think I wonder what he would have thought about that comparison. That's a great comparison. Is he still alive? No, oh, no. That's a shame. Yes, that is definitely a shame, uh, especially as they're making more Star Wars movies, which he will not oh. be in. Yes. Um, no, he's like, uh, you don't really get that from Star Wars, and I guess I've just never seen anything else he's in, but he has such like wonderful comic timing, and he also like has a, like, a super expressive face, and you can... I don't know how old he was in 1949, but they really dress him up and down in age, like, very effectively. Yeah, I thought that was one of the most impressive things, that he plays characters that are wildly disparate in, in age in the film. Uh, I happen to know that he was a, actually a really big comedy star uh, in England around this time period, uh, quite well known. All I knew of him was that he was the old guy in, in Star Wars until yeah. pretty recently. But he's he just does a phenomenal job, and it's funny because I I know that he hated making Star Wars. He thought it was really stupid, but he loved loved this film. Like even way after, he would always just talk about how great it was and how much he loved making it. So wow. he's yeah, he's just he's just wonderful, and and he does the the gender bending thing with really just with no. It's very funny, but it's not. He doesn't do it with a, like a nod to that. He just does it. Yeah, it's not like he's not doing it like it's supposed to be absurd. You know, yeah, he's just he, the, the characters are absurd because it's an absurd film. Yeah, but he's not. He there's no breaking of that wall. He's not letting you know that it's absurd. Right. Yeah. And if you weren't like into it or like observant, you might not notice that it's all the same actor. I think you could actually not notice. I mean, you would basically just be like, "Wow, they got a lot of people who all look like they're related." <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. Good job, guys. Yeah. You know. So. Uh, uh, so. Let's get so that that's you know some opening thoughts on the film, but let's 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 really get into this. So you had you had something you wanted to start talking about. I mean, uh, I guess part of it uh, for me, and this kind of relates to what we we're just talking about with with Alec Guinness um, and the I, maybe maybe a modern audience who doesn't know him from Obi Wan and doesn't know that he's playing all these roles might not be able to tell, and that's something I got with a lot of the film where because it is so old. But also because it is set so much earlier than that, and it's like it's one of those things. There's a there's an XKCD comic about this where he like charts uh, when a movie was set versus when it was made versus today. They're effectively indistinguishable. They're just in the past. They're just the distant past. And like I have this problem with this movie where it's like, sure, uh, it's made in 1949, but I don't know shit about 1949 as a as a time. I just know that it's like wartime. Um, 
but I know actually not wartime. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know. whatever. Not that far. La- not that far after. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's let's put a big like ten year <laughs> buffer yeah, yeah, yeah. around yeah. wartime. Reasonably and, and near wartime. People people felt like it was warish. Well, it, um, was, it was warlike. Yeah. yeah. It was Warren. <laughs> um, Warren G. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, it was said in Warren times, and <laughs> the. No, it was, sorry, it was made in Warren times. It was made set in, Warren times, yeah. in uh, some other time that I know even less about, but everyone is just fancy and British and wearing suits. And that's that's all I know. And so there's this weird like like time travel arithmetic that I'm doing with my head where I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's the past. And yeah, they all speak like with a stiff upper lip and they're all very British, but everyone in the past is British according to cinema. And so sometimes they make jokes and I don't know whether it's a joke like because it's a black comedy everything is very dark and like some things are said seriously that are supposed to be absurd and some things are are said vice versa and it's like as a modern cinema goer it's like it's something that I have a little trouble with where it's like you could conceivably say that someone might not notice that Alec Guinness is playing all these characters but someone at the time would obviously like lose their shit over how hysterical that is that this actor is clearly playing all these different roles. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I hadn't thought about this a lot in, until you brought this up, but um, I think there's something about like it. It's it's set like twenty to thirty years before it was made, but that's not a big enough time gap for everything to look different enough for us to notice that. So, like, if it had been set in like the 1500s. Nope. You know, everyone would have been dressed in like ruffled collars and like looked super goofy and talked even more goofily. And then it would have been a period piece for that time for us. But because I think because it's not it the difference between 1914, 1915, whatever, wherever it takes place and 1949 isn't enough of a difference for for us that it just seems sort of indistinguishable. It's just like you said, it's just in the past and they're wearing suits. And it's it's but I think there is specifically a commentary in the film about sort of Edwardian mores and about sort of contemporary politics, using that perhaps as a way to talk about issues of 1949 that we're just not going to, we're not going to understand without help from somebody else. Because, you know, for example, you know, as as a younger person, I was very into reading Alice in Wonderland. And if you do any research about Alice in Wonderland, you will learn that a lot of stuff in that book is actually political, uh, sort of commentary on things that were happening in England at that time. But I had no idea, right? Like, I don't know who any of those politicians he was commenting on are, right? Right. I, yeah. I, I just have no frame of reference in the same way that, you know, now if, you, you know, it's like, it's like political cartooning and stuff like that. It's just very timely. Yeah. But there's even more to it, like, just in terms of the um, aesthetic where it's like uh, at the very beginning of the film, uh, Louis Louis Dascoigne Mazzini, Mazzini, Mancini, Mancini, I think, Mancini, um, is is very poor, and they go to lengths to try and point out how poor his family is. But they're all still wearing suits and leather shoes, and like they all still look fancy as hell by modern standards. Um, and then as he gets richer through the film, because you know as he kills all these people, um, he gets. I mean, it's not just that he's getting closer to the dukedom, but he's also he also like kind of finds a sponsor in the family like one is like one of his great uncles or something is just like upset that so many of his kinsmen are dying so he hires this you know second cousin to work at his bank uh and so he gets like noticeably richer and there's like a there's a romance plot where someone who is not interested in him when he was poor gets interested in him 
uh, as he gets richer. Uh, but to me, still just wearing a suit. Like I just, it's it it's hard to notice that stuff without the perspective um, of someone who knows what money looked like in in the nineteen. 19- X's. So this is one time where I felt like so I, I know that you were of I think of two minds about the the use of narration in the film. So the film has quite a bit. The whole thing is basically him telling us this story. Right. I mean right. he's uh, he's writing a memoir. So it's yeah. So of... we're hearing his memoir as we're going along, and I, I have to say that one of the times where I, I I actually really felt like the film used narration very well, but one of the times that I felt that was because of the exact point that you bring up, which is that. The only reason that I necessarily knew he had more money was because he told us. Right. Yeah. And that's... Yeah, I guess, like, the narration performs a good function. Um, and maybe that function is better even now after time. Like, you know... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, in general, I'm kind of, like, I'm, I'm mixed on narration. Like, for some reason, I'm, I'm fine with it in television. Like, um, How I Met Your Mother or Scrubs or Grey's Anatomy. Like, all these TV shows um, that I have watched... A lot of over the years, they they kind of function solely on narration. Yeah, one thing I really like about uh, some of those things that you mentioned, and I think this film is a little bit involved with that as well, is the idea of the unreliable narrator. Mm. And where where something like How I Met Your Mother is very explicit about that, even this film, I feel like we're definitely getting like a take on what was happening from his perspective for sure. And I think there's some acknowledgement in the film that this isn't not not to the extent that like oh this might not have happened, but to the extent of like we're getting a very colored perception of what was happening and he's you know, he's very he's incredibly witty. Mm. You know, there are this film had so many unbelievable one-liners. Yeah. Like I I mean I I have a list of them. I wrote I wrote so many of them down and they're just I mean incredible one-liners and uh, I think that, you know, it made him so that charming aspect because they weren't things he would say to someone. It wasn't like it wasn't like a hard boiled, you know, like I'm going to say something really cool right before I do something. It was more like his commentary on what was happening was so funny. Yeah. And he was also like he was one of these people um, where he just like he has such disdain for everybody that he can he just cuts everybody, not necessarily to their face. He often. Uh, I mean, he, uh, his love interest, uh, Sabella is already married, um, for much of the film and her husband, Lionel, uh, you know, Louis has absolutely no affection for, even though they're like childhood chums or some shit. Like at one point she's talking about how, uh, he wants to, like, he's reading a book or something or he's going back to school. I can't remember. And she says that she, uh, that he wants to, uh, improve his mind and louis just said well he has room to do so <laughs> and it's just like man just talk smack about her husband right to her face uh, he he does an amazing job of that there's a there, there's at at his at his wedding at their wedding he says something just in, incredible about like you're 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 a very lucky man i should know or, you know something which he, the guy doesn't get but he's indicating that they'd been kind of fooling around or whatever uh he says it, oh god maybe 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 my favorite one it was when he says um Weekends like life are short. <laughs> like, like that's just, that's so dark and incredibly awesome. Like he just he has such a you know and he has such like a a fun you, you know wit like the, the the one I used you know so when I do the reviews on my site I always put a, a, a quote in the side. The one I used for that was it, it is so difficult to make a neat job of killing people with whom one is not on friendly terms, which is also just like it's so good. It's yeah, so good. Um, 
there's a this wonderful scene where he's wandering around the grounds of Castle Chalfont um, with, yeah, I think is the Duke. Um, and uh, Alec Guinness is doing a wonderful job of this Duke because he's this older guy who loves hunting and is a little, like, he's not doddering. Like, there are many older characters. Um, but he's just kind of, you know, a man of maybe 60-something. And, you know, he's wandering around his grounds with his with his butler, and they want to shoot some game. And uh, they they come across a poacher who they've caught in a man trap. <laughs> and, you know, he orders the butler to, like, flog the guy in the man trap. And, uh, I don't know, does the, the Duke offer his Louis if he wants to have a go at him too? <laughs> or, like, if he wants to shoot some game? And Louis just like, oh, no, I can't. Uh, my principles don't allow me to participate in blood sports. And it's just like, we've just seen you murder seven people. So. <laughs> but but not for sport. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not for speaking of, of and that, not on principles, and not and yeah, and only on only on on some principles, yeah. So speaking of that, I thought uh, maybe we could, you know, there are a lot of death scenes in the film, and, and I don't want to spoil all of them, but I thought we could maybe each talk about our, our favorite one, uh, and and my favorite one. I think it's my favorite one because it's actually based on a real event, which I didn't learn until obviously until after I saw the film. Mm-hmm. But one of his uh, cousins, it's actually a really quick one. One of his cousins is a, is an admiral in the navy, and gets port and starboard mixed up and crashes into another ship <laughs> and insists on going down with the ship, even though everyone else is rescued. And it's first of all that's hilarious, but also that really happened. Mm. That was an actual that the guy was so embarrassed by messing it up that he went down with the ship for no reason. Like what the? That's weird. Yeah, and. <laughs> And it's also nice that like there is there is more than one death in the family that is not his doing. Oh yeah, that's true. I mean that one wasn't his doing. He just got lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is my favorite death, but uh, very early in the piece, he makes friends with uh, a, a cousin of some sort who's a photography enthusiast, and he like he fakes being a photography enthusiast so that he can get close to this guy. And the guy also turns out to be an alcoholic, even though it's uh, you know his wife would frown on that. So he only drinks in his dark room. And so, uh, so Louis like replaced the 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 paraffin lamps. Yes, he, repl- he lamps. fills uh, this guy's paraffin lamps in the dark room with with petrol, with gasoline, so that when he goes off for a drink, he'll light the lamp, and the whole thing will explode and burn down. Um, that's like incredibly dark. Like, what an awful way to do that. But also, like, this ties back to like my problem with some of the like the time difference between the movie and today, where it's like. A lot of these deaths are so suspicious. Like, oh yeah, he's really lucky. There's no CSI. I mean, he puts a bomb in a jar of caviar. Yes, yeah. He he yeah. like puts gasoline in this in this guy's lamp. Like this is this is suspicious by any like half decent cops thing. So it's like, and and the family uh, starts to attribute it to a curse. Yeah, and like, but really though, like, <laughs> I don't know whether I'm like whether the uh, when the family starts talking about the weird curse, whether like the audience should be rolling in the laugh in the aisles about how ludicrous it is that they think it's a curse, or whether I'm just like, wait, were people that dumb? <laughs> like, were or were the police like that bad that, th- that this could be credibly seen as a curse when when some like old general is at the country club and he opens a jar of caviar and it explodes? Yeah. I don't know. I would assume that, that it was even at the time like very ludicrous, and I think maybe that that the because I thought the, the scene you're talking about with the um, photography thing. I, I mean, it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole film. Just uh, the 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 Louis and and 
the his cousin's wife mm. uh, who standing, he's totally hitting on who he's totally hitting on and 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 it very successfully as it turns out but uh they're way far away from the burning dark room and it's just way in the back room burning and I, he says some incredibly funny things and just that whole scene then the whole way that goes down and how cold it is and just it's just perfect it's 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 like a micro microcosm of the whole film like it just kind of encapsulates how how wonderful but i think that really is like i think that it really is a, a matter of the it, it being so unbelievably ridiculous mm. that it that it you can that the thread can kind of carry through cuz i you know i i don't i don't want to reveal any more of the deaths but some of them are i mean you didn't even name the most ridiculous ones. So, oh, yeah, sure. so, so some of them are, are just absolutely, I mean, they're, I don't think in 1949 they were any more believable than they are now, but, yeah. but they are, they are, I think they work so well purely because of that. And also because, you know, on the face of it, I think off, off camera, off camera, off mic, you compared the, you compared it a little bit to American Psycho. And I think that's a really apt and interesting comparison. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the reasons why we can get behind Louis besides the fact that we're suckers for someone who's been uh, wronged, is that it's so silly that you, he, he never comes across like a, like a bad... Like, he's not like an evil guy in that way because everything he's doing is so unbelievably ridiculous. Yeah. And actually, uh, that's a good bridge. Well done on that segue. It is my first time, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah, maybe some of it is just that, like, given this distance of time, it's hard for us to know what is truly ludicrous by, like, by any modern standards. Or like standards at the time, because I don't know. You can watch a, a dark comedy today and confidently chuckle along to something that seems ludicrous, but uh, that didn't really work with American Psycho. Like American Psycho is a is a very very dark comedy, maybe too dark. Yeah. Um. And yeah, that, I mean that's that's maybe where the comparison should. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't I mean, want people out there to think this is not American Psycho. Like, no, it's not I mean that it's kind of it's movie. not horrific. I mean, no. and that's. That's maybe some. That's something I actually enjoyed about American Psycho because, like, it really makes you uh, viscerally unhappy. Well, uh, and certainly this movie is. Uh, you know, I think uh, the production values of this film are are really excellent. Oh yeah, but they're not. I mean, it's it is from 1949. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. They could not. I guess they couldn't do like many uh, convincingly gruesome deaths, even if they wanted to. No, I don't think so. Uh, you know, they got really lucky on this film, actually. So this film comes from um, Ealing Studios, which is a very famous, no longer, you know, a, a defunct British uh, film studio that made just a, a tremendous amount of films and was especially known for their comedies, but they were not known for their wonderful production values. Uh, they were a very poor studio. Uh, this film, due to some scheduling things, ended up being shot and made at, like, a much fancier studio, like, down the road, and, <laughs> and so it actually benefits from really, really high-quality production values, but much higher than the other films from its studio at the at the time um yeah the the sets the costumes like i mean we were just talking about the scene with the uh the petrol fire um you know in that scene in the foreground they're sitting in nice lawn chairs on a very large very meticulously manicured lawn uh with like garden trellis and behind the garden trellis there's smoke coming up in the distance and it's like that was that looks like it was shot shot on location like all of that is like tremendous and like the the depth of field required to pull that shot off is not something like you could fake it today with green screen but they obviously weren't then it's a and it's a beautifully shot film i mean there's so many uh, you know wonderful scenes of 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 him in in really nice locations you know country clubs and 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 rivers and and Mm. very well done 
the 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 last thing I think I wanted to talk about before we before we move on, maybe sum up is when you watch this film, Clarko. I think you just watched the the British version, which is I mean it's a British movie, but it, I don't know if you knew this at the time, but it there it was released in the U.S., but it was released edited in some pretty interesting ways, uh, where um, at the the production code of the time, which was a studio self inflicted code that was around for quite a long time, 30, 40 years in the oh, U.S. Oh, this was not like a, a regulation. No, that's no, no. This was um, the industry censored themselves. Oh, so fun. The, the, but no movie, no major movie studio. It's called the Hayes Production Code, and no major movie studio would release a movie that didn't have this seal on it of approval from this production code uh, until eventually uh, various people, for various reasons, Howard Hughes most famously, like just released movies anyway, and and the fact that they were not signed got people to go see them, and then that was making money, and then eventually the whole thing fell apart. <laughs> it's like but, the modern equivalent of unrated. Yeah, basically. But, oh, it's the unrated edition. We're not going to tell you there's anything different, but it's unrated. We have not rated it. <laughs> but um, the ending of this film, which I'm, we're not going to go into, as I said, but it's, it, it is, in the original version, an ambiguous ending. Uh, and the uh, American version is not uh, an ambiguous ending. And that was purely because of the, uh, the production code of the time. So mm. it's and very interesting. A lot of edits, a lot of small edits. Yeah. I mean, from what I could glean uh, from Wikipedia about this like difference in ending, I mean, some of them are, are obvious. Like, they use the N-word in the British version. Um, quite liberally, yes, uh, in, not, only not in not one either. scene when they're uh, reciting "Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo," um, but which I mean, obviously, you guys didn't learn that in America. Um, I'm I'm not American, despite appearances. Uh, uh, I grew up in Australia, and we did use that version of "Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo," the British one. Yeah. Oh wow! Uh, because we didn't know any better, and um, we don't have a shared history with the United States, so it's just, I, you know. That's that's a rhyme you unlearn when you move to the United States. <laughs> yeah, I think very quickly, hopefully. Um, and maybe lighter allusion to the idea that um, Louis and Sabella were, were going at it. I mean, it was pretty light already, maybe just because of the um, kind of mores at the time. But, like, I'm... It certainly, like, went past me. Like, I knew that they... Uh, that Louis and Sabella had, at various times in the movie, made out on a fainting couch... But it never really crossed my mind that they were, like, having sex. Yeah, they use the term uh, on friendly terms, which I think is just brilliant. It's, like, so much more dignified. Booty calls in the past were very dignified, is what this movie teaches us. <laughs> well, there's, like, a lot of, uh, you know, corsets and, and petticoats and stuff. It's, like, it's a huge pain. Well, yeah, and, and, I mean, you weren't, I think you weren't supposed to be seen at people's houses and a certain level of station. And so mm -hmm. it, it just seems very complicated, but also kind of awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, um, did you have anything else you want to say about this one? Um, okay. I mean, you have you have no love uh, for Sabella. Was there was there anything about like uh, that relationship? And I forget uh, the other woman's Edith. name, Edith. Um, Sabella had better hats. I go for the so, classier uh, dame, though. Sure. Is what I think I learned from watching mm. this movie. I'm... I like uh, trashy dames in nice hats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's a that's a big difference between the two of us. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um the hats though, like okay, so there's a scene where he's talking to Isabella and then she leaves and Edith comes in and there's like maybe they passed each other in the hall kind of deal. And both of them uh back to back in this scene are wearing the most amazing costumes. And like this just kind of goes back to that whole production value thing. With uh, Ealing Studios, you know, magically getting a better deal, but holy crap! Like, 
those dresses would probably be thousands of dollars today. And oh, the hats yeah. were obscene. It was yes. like it was so incredible. Now, everyone looks absolutely great. I mean, I, I wanted his. I mean, I wanted a lot of things. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see this in color. Like I don't know like how easy it is. Because uh, obviously, like the old Technicolor, like where everything looks like it was just painted on after the fact, is a little sad. But like I I don't. What can you even do today with like false coloring? You shouldn't. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a bad road to go down, my friend. No, I, I uh, you know, obviously it would have been amazing to see it in color, but you know, it wasn't made in color, so I think we need to just be okay with that. <laughs> this is me getting up. I mean, I'm sorry. You're let me get down from my, high horse. Yeah, let me get down from the horse before I you know fall off and hurt myself. But I, I you know, I, I oh, I can't handle. I cannot handle that at all. That is terrible. That is so terrible. <laughs> there's something also. There's something really beautiful about. Uh, uh, it, it would kind of not be good because when they did black and white cinema well, they didn't just, oh, well, we don't have color. Like, they used the black and white to effect. So it's it, it they actually wore things that wouldn't look good if, they, if you actually saw the colors because they translated well to black and white. Yeah, for just for contrast and water. For contrast and, yeah. for, and they did lighting things and stuff. So a lot of it is, is set up to look a certain way and it would actually, it would, be, it would look wrong if you actually were, if you were to go in and change it. I mean, you, there was that thing, I think at some point in the 90s, like they were colorizing, it's called colorizing. They were colorizing old movies in any cinema file anywhere will look at you like oh, get out if you if you if you're a proponent of this yeah but I uh, but i do understand the desire i, I definitely do understand the desire to want to see how beautiful it was i mean yeah just the sets and the costumes in particular so i mean beautiful. like the music was fantastic as well yeah like just everything about it was it's a great so movie tight. yeah it's a really good i recommend heavily I, mean, I think both of us would heartily recommend yeah i think this is a great film i'm for it yeah it's awesome it's a lot of fun it's uh unfortunately the Criterion DVD is is long out of print now, but I think there's a, a really pretty recent Blu-ray. So, you know, I'd recommend picking that up. Uh, and it's on iTunes if you're not like super crazy about physical media. Oh yeah, this is definitely something you'll learn about me over time, audience. I am I'm an old physical media fogey, so that's fun. That's fine. I mean, I have the latest Katy Perry album on vinyl, so yeah. For some reason, people think that's different. Like, I don't get judged for my vinyl collection, but I do get judged for my Blu-ray collection. Huh. So, I don't know. All right. Well, um, we'll be back. You know, we have a whole other movie to talk about, so we could probably wrap this one up. Um, should we... What do you think? Should we tease at what the what the next episode is? I think I already did. That's... Oh. Did we? Oh, man. W- have I forgotten already in the you'll, recording? You'll find out. I guess second. when I edit this, I'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, at any rate, I don't know what the... Um, so I love that you're making these like mental notes, which you could just edit out of the final. <laughs> and I might. Yeah. We'll see. But anyway, join us. Come back. Please, won't you please join us for the second half of this podcast? Uh, and together we will continue to talk about ridiculous things. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank and you thank you, Clarko. Thank you, Arik. It is so difficult to make a neat job of killing people with whom one is not on friendly terms. Yo, so there's like this Kind Hearts and Corn Nuts movie with Alec Guinness? You mean he did another movie other than Star Wars? Good on him, I guess.